Good morning. It's Wednesday, May 12th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Republicans made it official this morning. Representative Liz Cheney has been removed from her House leadership position. Her ouster follows months of internal party division over former President Trump's role in the January 6th insurrection and his continued influence within the GOP. The decision came via a voice vote. There was no debate. Axios is calling this the most significant turning point in the schism over the Republican Party's future identity. It's saying this debate is not likely to be resolved soon. On Friday, the caucus elects Cheney's replacement. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik is expected to come out on top. Dan Balls over at The Washington Post is out with an interesting piece of journalism. It pulls together a lot of big questions about America's future, the economy, immigration, and whether our population could slip into decline. It's a new angle in a national conversation that's intensifying since new data showed the biggest drop in the U.S. birth rate in decades. When a country's population shrinks, big political, economic, and social challenges usually follow. As communities lose population, they often see more drug abuse and poverty. And one big fear is that eventually there won't be enough working-age people in the U.S., which could mean lower tax revenue, declining innovation, and less support for older people. Balls looks at how immigration is a force that could counterbalance the danger of population decline. He notes that Donald Trump's tough-on-immigrants approach led to fewer people coming to the U.S. in recent years. In the two years before Trump took office, about a million people migrated to the U.S. every year, both with and without documentation. By the end of his presidency, that number was below a half million. Presidents in both parties have proposed major immigration overhauls in recent years, but they've never made it through the gridlocked Congress. The Post spoke with a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution who says establishing a cohesive immigration policy is crucial to avoiding further declines in population growth. NPR reports on the contrast between how national Republican policymakers talk about immigration and how refugees are viewed in some very red states. Employers are starting to recognize restrictive immigration policies can end up hurting their local economies. NPR takes us to Boise, Idaho. The state used to be among the leaders in per capita refugee resettlement. Since Trump imposed a lower cap, the number of refugees starting a new life in Idaho has dropped 80 percent. Pete Amador, who owns a home health agency, tells NPR the majority of caregivers who work for him are refugees. But now he's having trouble finding workers. It has created a shortage for my company in our ability to provide great care to our clients. Tara Wolfson directs the nonprofit Idaho Office for Refugees. And she tells NPR her office used to get hate calls during the Trump years. These days, she's been fielding calls from companies and employment agencies desperate for people who can work. Mosquitoes are an itchy summertime annoyance at best. At worst, they can spread dangerous diseases like Zika and dengue. In the Florida Keys, the problem with mosquitoes is so bad, they're sending in a special hit squad. Tens of thousands of genetically modified mosquitoes. 
And if they do what they're supposed to do, millions more will be released. Time magazine has details about this particular experiment. And one key thing to understand about the mosquito they're targeting, the females do the biting and the egg laying. So a company called Oxitec genetically modified male mosquitoes to include a faulty gene. And that gene causes the male's female offspring to die. So the idea is when these genetically modified male mosquitoes are released, that they'll mate with wild females, and then that deadly gene gets passed on. That'll mean fewer and fewer female mosquitoes, and eventually the population crashing. Oxitec says in a previous experiment in Brazil, the mosquito population fell by up to 95%. Time spoke to a mosquito biologist who questions the long-term effectiveness of this particular approach, And some people in Florida have protested the experiment. They say there wasn't enough transparency in how it was rolled out. But this experiment is going forward, and people around the world are watching. Mosquito-borne diseases kill more than one million people every year. We'll see if these modified mosquitoes can do anything to lower that number. Here's a piece of good news. If you're fully vaccinated, you can relax about your COVID-19 risk. Yes, really. Yeah, maybe you're feeling like you've been receiving mixed messages. On the one hand, the vaccines are extremely effective. Data show the shots dramatically reduce the risk of hospitalization and death, and they're effective against new variants. On the other hand, the CDC says vaccinated people should keep wearing masks indoors and avoid large groups. So how concerned should vaccinated people be or not be? Vox went straight to the experts it's been talking with since the pandemic began and asked them a simple question. How worried are you about your personal safety after getting vaccinated? And they were nearly unanimous. Not much, if at all. Yeah, these vaccinated doctors and scientists said they're doing some indoor dining, some movie watching. The ones who are holding back are saying we're still making choices that will protect others who aren't vaccinated yet, like children, for example. But when it comes to their own lives, those who know the most about COVID are getting back to normal after they get vaccinated. And they're having fun. Another reason they're encouraging everyone to get their shots as soon as possible. So if you've been working from home, maybe you've been looking around and seeing stuff you don't use that much. So you fill up a bag and donate it to your favorite charity. But the nonprofits are running into a problem lately because of donations like this. You could be part of this problem. NPR breaks down this phenomenon called wish cycling, which is the increasingly common practice of donating things that you kind of just hope will be reused by someone else. So recently, at a Goodwill donation center in New Hampshire, cars crammed with donations dropped off all sorts of things, including some things that were really trash. A small table, missing a leg, even a used sponge. These things aren't just useless and kind of gross. They're also expensive for the nonprofit to get rid of. It's actually really expensive. The Goodwill locations in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont had to throw away more than 13 million pounds of stuff last year. The nonprofit had to use about a million dollars of its own funds to get all that stuff hauled away. And that's just for the 30 stores in this particular region. This is a big trash bill. If a charity can't sell the thing that you're donating, you're actually hurting it, not helping. 
So charities want people to keep donating, but maybe be a little more thoughtful about how you do it. Before dropping something off, a Goodwill spokesperson suggests, maybe try asking yourself, if I needed this, would I buy it in this condition? You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.